Hello and welcome to Matanzers, a baseball podcast. I'm Max Tanzer, joined alongside Ryan Medeiros. So we got a lot to cover today, Ryan. The hot stove is heating up one more time here. The reliever market really moving right now here as we have Liam Hendricks signing with the White Sox, Pedro Baez and Archie Bradley signing deals as well. DJ LeMahe returning to the Yankees after the long wait. And then Corey Kluber signing with the Bronx Bombers as well. Let's get started here with a non-player move, but... A front office move. Theo Epstein, after stepping down from his position with the Chicago Cubs as their president earlier this offseason, has uh, picked up a job in Major League Baseball's front office, being a consultant to the commissioner's office now. Uh, a really tremendous move, in my opinion. A guy who, in his press conference, said that he was going to take the year off. Uh, I guess maybe he meant from Major League teams specifically. He'll be working for Major League Baseball now. Uh, one of the best in the game. Without a doubt, a Hall of Famer. I love this move. Ryan, let's start off with that. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, and you mentioned that press conference when he kind of talked about stepping down. He mentioned something really interesting, and that was about how the game has kind of gone in a different trajectory and one in which, uh, of which he isn't really happy, and that's a lot of strikeouts, not too many balls in play, not much action. So I wonder if in joining the commissioner's office, he's going to try and institute some rules and kind of give some guidance to the commissioner where we kind of try and switch back to getting more of that action on the diamond as opposed to the high strikeout, um, high home run totals. No doubt. If there's one guy who can do it, it probably is Theo Epstein. I mean, he broke the Red Sox drought, the Cubs drought. Uh, but being a little bit more serious here, uh, a great guy who I think is very forward-thinking, uh, really good at relating to the younger generation as well, uh, but also has great connections in Major League Baseball. I think he'll do the right thing. And work in what is an incredibly difficult job, in my opinion. Uh, you know, Commissioner Manfred, while you know I don't agree with all the decisions he's made, it's a very difficult decision because you have to make changes to a game that it has such a deep history. Uh, so hopefully this is a, a head in the right direction here for Major League Baseball. Uh, and we'll see how it progresses here as we get into opening day in a few months from now. All right, let's move to the players now. We mentioned Liam Hendricks signing a four-year, $54 million deal with the Chicago White Sox with a $15 million option for 2024, which interestingly enough, has a $15 million buyout that will be dispersed over 10 years if declined. So Hendricks will be making $15 million no matter what in 2024. Uh, but either way, after losing Colomay to free agency, the White Sox get an even better closer at this point and bolster what now could be considered one of the better bullpens in Major League Baseball. Yeah, absolutely. This is a fantastic move by the White Sox and a fantastic deal for Hendricks. I mean, this is a guy who not too long ago had been designated for assignment a couple of times, but he just burst on the scene in 2019, 1.8 ERA, stepped into the closers role for the A's, getting 25 saves that season. In 2020, with the 14 saves, 1.78 ERA, he strikes out a ton of batters. His He lights up the radar in terms of XERA. Expect batting average, expect slugging all across the board. He strikes out a ton of batters, just dominant stuff from the back end of the bullpen. No, I know you touched on it. It's been DFA'd four times. Goes from that to starting the wild card game. I believe he was the first Australian start a wild card game back in 2018. And now he's the third highest paid reliever ever in terms of total value. And you know, you look at guys, I think a interesting comparison is Ryan Presley in many ways, because both of them dropped the two-seamer slash sinker increased that four-seam fastball usage and it jumped to 70%, blossoming into a 40% strikeout rate, which is up from about 21 to 28% before that. Uh, and you touched on it as well with the numbers last year. From 2019 to 20, he's third in strikeouts out of all relievers, third in ERA behind Felipe Vasquez, who did not pitch in 2020. 
Um, so really good numbers right here for Hendricks, and I think it's a great move for the White Sox. Uh, you know, we talk about it. Believers can be a little bit fickle, a little bit volatile. Uh, but I think if there's one guy out here on this market, this is the most trustworthy guy and a guy you have to expect that will continue uh, to dominate here. And let's look at that bullpen. You got Hendricks, Crochet coming up. Evan Marshall was really good. Hewer, Bummer, Foster. I added it up. And if you take all those 2020 numbers, it's 115 and two-thirds of an innings pitch and a 179 ERA. Of course, a lot of those guys are young, a smaller sample size, but a lot to look forward to if you're a White Sox fan coming out of the pen. Yeah, and Hendricks basically, like you said, their bullpen was already great. Hendricks just is kind of like the cherry on top of an already fantastic bullpen. He's a veteran presence. He's been around the block more than a few times, and he'll just become a great guy to, to kind of step in. He's like kind of the keystone. When you talk about an arch, you have that keystone at the top. I think that's a perfect fit for Hendricks. Steps in as the keystone, kind of holds that White Sox bullpen arch together, and it's going to be a really solid arch for them in the coming season. No doubt about that. Next, we have Pedro Baez signing a two-year, $12.5 million deal with the Houston Astros here. I thought this was a very underlooked move. Pedro Baez has been one of the more solid uh, relievers in Major League Baseball over the last five, six years or so. A 3-1-8 year range, 17 innings last year. Going to be interesting to see him not uh, donning the Dodger blue, but a good move for the Astros here who have been known to you know, increase the performance of pitchers in general. So maybe we'll be seeing some even better numbers from Baez this season. Yeah, and like you said, Baez is just one of those consistent veteran arms, not quite at the elite level as Hendricks. He's 32 years old, though. He'll give them a veteran presence in what was a very young and inexperienced bullpen uh, for the Astros this past season. Uh, we'll talk about his 2019 numbers because he only pitched 18 games in 2020, albeit good numbers in a small sample size, 3.18 in 2020. He had 3.10 in 2019 in 71 games so he pitches a lot of games he has that experience in pitching 69 and two-thirds innings pitch with 69 strikeouts that's about as consistent as you can get in terms of stuff from that kind of setup role but he's just been so consistent 3.03 era in his career in 355 games and yeah i think he'll just become a really solid piece to help solidify a young and inexperienced bullpen yeah, I described it as underrated, and I think the big reason for that is because he hasn't been the marquee relief pitcher on the team he was on with the Los Angeles Dodgers. You know, it's been your Kenley Jansen, your Blake Trinant, and so forth, but he has never had an ERA uh, above 335 in his major league career, and that's in 356 innings, a career 303 ERA. Uh, so definitely a dependable piece for them. The next one, a team that needs bullpen pieces more than anything, the Philadelphia Phillies, after adding Jose Alvarado a couple weeks ago, adding Archie Bradley on a one-year $6 million deal. Uh, I love this move as well. Bradley, again, a guy who gets a little bit underlooked, has closed at times, uh, gets a chance to be a primary closer here with the Phillies and really help out a pen that needed a lot of help. We've talked about it too many times now with the ERA north of seven last year for the Phillies. I think the second worst ERA for a bullpen in Major League history in a single season. Uh, this helps a lot, and I like this move for them. Yeah, and I would actually be shocked if the if the Phillies were done here. I uh, Right now, like you said, he kind of slots in, in that closer's role if you look at the Phillies bullpen on paper, but I would not be shocked, like I said, to see them add an even better arm to that bullpen to set, step into the closer's role. Bradley has done a good job closing in his career. I just think he's better profiled. If you want to really solidify your bullpen, he's a little bit better profiled in a setup role. But like you said, very uh, uh, compared to anyone the Phillies had last year, they can't get much worse. They've been adding bullpen pieces throughout the offseason. We saw in Jose Alvarado, Sam Coonrod, two kind of little shaky pieces. Bradley's a little bit more solid than them. 3.91 ERA in his career. That's 255 games. 
35 games started, so he's a starter earlier in his career, but he's really developed since he's moved to the bullpen. He had that fantastic season in his first year in the bullpen in 2017, 173 ERA and 79 strikeouts in 73 innings. And it's kind of been more of the same, a little up and down. His ERA hasn't been over 3-6 since that season in 2017, but pretty solid numbers from the pen and one of the more dependable setup closer type guys. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a cheaper option as well for the Phillies who earlier this offseason uh, said they were struggling in the financial department. I mean, you talked about it uh, when we were texting about this when the move was happened. $6 million, not too expensive, and it is interesting to see that kind of set the tone, or I should say after Hendricks set the tone with the big $50-plus million deal, Bradley getting $6 million. Of course, he's not in the same boat, but for a team like the Phillies that really needs relief pitchers, you know, it's a really good deal for them and does allow them to add more. Yeah, and the one thing I will add about Bradley, too, is he's not one of those older, really veteran guys uh, who's kind of has a cap on their potential, who's already hit their ceiling, like maybe a Kinsler or a Melanson. There's nothing wrong with those guys. They're a couple of the more solid arms out there. But the difference with Bradley is he might even have a little bit of a higher ceiling because of his age. Like I said, 28 years old, one of the more younger relievers, one of the more high upside relievers. So that's a good thing about him and why I thought this was such a steal for the Phillies. No doubt. Next one, a big one, especially for any New York Yankees fans out there. Bringing back DJ LeMahieu on a six-year, $90 million deal. He'll be 33 years old in July, and it was reported just about a week ago that he was unhappy with the Yankees and that he was going to explore options with other teams. And my assumption was is that he didn't get any better offers from, from any other teams and decided to go back to the Yankees, take that $90 million that reportedly him, him and his agent were looking for. That's going to be $15 million annually, which I think benefits both sides in many ways because it allowed LeMahieu to get a sixth year, which gives him more job security as he gets older. What, he'll be like 39 by that point, 38, 39. But not only that, it helps the Yankees in the luxury tax department because the average annual value is now decreased with that extra year. I like this move on both ends. The Yankees needed this move, and they got it. Yeah, like you said, fantastic move for both sides. You can't say enough about what LeMahieu has done in New York. You look at the 177 OPS plus last season, just absolutely astronomical numbers from him. Finished second in the uh, in the MVP race or in the top three. He was a, a finalist in the MVP voting in the American League in 2020. His positional versatility, I think, will play a huge factor in this long-term deal. Even if he's 38, he can slot over to first base if he loses a kind of he loses a couple steps there at second base and moving forward. He can play a little third base if you need to. I think the key here for the Yankees in this deal and giving him the six-year deal uh, is the is the deal with Glaber Torres. The fact that LeMahieu has that versatility means that Torres, if he struggles at shortstop, can slot to second base and LeMahieu can play somewhere else. It's not like they're locking LeMahieu in for six years at second base, guaranteed he can't play anywhere else. That's not the, that's not the deal here. LeMahieu can play a lot of different positions. And the bottom line is he's an absolute force at the plate over the past two years. You look at his stats, batting average over in 327 in 2019, 364 in 2020, the OPS plus over 135 in both seasons, the 135 number in 2019, 177 as I mentioned in 2020. He's just a force at the plate, doesn't strike out, puts the ball in play, which is really refreshing to see in today's game. And he's hit for power too. I think a lot of the deal with that power, we've seen the power numbers jump, is the fact that he's playing in Yankee Stadium, which is why this is such a perfect marriage for the two, for both LeMahieu and the Yankees. LeMahieu can keep aiming for that short porch, and uh, the Yankees can keep reaping the benefits. 
No doubt. And I think what's so great about LeMahieu is, you know, a lot of times we're seeing the all-or-nothing approach in this day and age. But with LeMahieu, he's a pure hitter. And I almost think that, you know, he's driving balls into the gap and they get over or he'll sky a ball to right field, drive it. You know, it's maybe not in the majority of ballparks it's not getting out, but it does in Yankee Stadium. I think it's a bonus. You know, he's trying to get extra base hits, line drives gap to gap, a little bit more of a not traditional approach, but I'd say it's a little bit more towards the middle than the all or nothing approach we see today. And he gets rewarded for it playing at Yankee Stadium. And who would have thought, you know, going away from Coors Field really helped him out in this case. Uh, he's so valuable for them. You mentioned about the versatility, not only allowing Torres to move around if he needs to, but look at the amount of injuries the Yankees have had the last couple of years in their infield and the ability to be able to shift him around, give guys days off, fill in at certain, certain spots uh, is more than valuable in that case. And to add on to the fact he's been a top four MVP guy the last two years, is just a cherry on top. So a tremendous move for them, one that needed to happen and they got it done. All right, the Yankees weren't done yet yesterday. Quite an eventful day for Brian Cashman locking up Corey Kluber for a one-year $11 million deal. Uh, this is an interesting one for sure as Kluber has only started eight games in the last two years, only pitched one inning last year, so a total of 36 and two-thirds of an innings pitched in the last two seasons. But if you put that aside, he's been one of the best baseball or one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball over the last decade. Let's just read off the ERAs, 289 and 18, 225 and 17, 3-1-4-16. The list goes on. If they can get anything remotely close to that, Corey Kluber, I think this is more than worth it for them. Yeah, and this is the beauty of being a big market team. The Yankees can afford to put $11 million towards Kluber, and if he pitches two innings this year and then goes down with an injury, yes, that would be unfortunate, but it's not killer for them. It's not like it's it's do or die for them with Kluber this season like it was for maybe the Rangers last season. Uh, and I'll allude to that with the Rangers last season, only threw one inning uh, on opening day, uh, or not opening day, he pitched, I, th I believe it was the second or third game, Lance Lynn opened up. But yeah, in that first series, Kluber was supposed to be one of the big three in that rotation and went down with the, uh, with the injury there. And the good news is it wasn't one of those typical elbow injuries. Uh, he's been banged up over the past few years, but thankfully for the Yankees, if you want to look at one positive thing about the injuries is none of them were elbow injuries, so it's not something that they should have to worry about too much. His overall health will be a little bit of a concern considering the fact that he's only thrown 36 and two-third innings over the past two seasons, but before that he was an absolute workhorse averaging over 200 innings every season. Like Max said, those ERAs speak for themselves. Absolute dominant numbers. You look from 2016 to 2018, 227 strikeouts, 265, 222 strikeouts respectively in those three seasons. So we just dominated opposing batters. And, and his dominance went all the way back to 2014 as well. Obviously, we haven't run over those numbers because they're a little, best, little less relevant going into 2021. But he's been a, one of the more dominant pitchers of the past decade. And I think it'll bode well for them. Now, what is interesting, I mentioned the Yankees' injury struggles offensively. You can almost argue it's been worse in terms of their pitching, specifically starting pitching here. And they are, you know, uh, giving a lot of money to a guy who hasn't been healthy the last two years here. And you have Severino coming back from TJ as well. Uh, some uncertainty. You know, you've had the struggles with Paxton the last couple of years as well. If I'm the Yankees, I probably want to bring back one more starter at the very least. Tanaka, I'm sure, is number one on that list. Uh, but just some security here, just knowing that your biggest struggle, you know, for arguably the best team on paper in the American League has been injuries, and you're bringing in a guy who has been hurt so much the last couple of seasons. I think they have to bring in one more guy at least. Yeah, and you have an argument if you're a Yankees fan if the Yankees don't sign another starting pitcher because 
the Yankees have had, like you said, a lot of injury history, and they don't have a lot of guaranteed innings. I remember Kluber was being discussed as a potential guy for the Red Sox, and while I think Kluber has a really high ceiling based on his past performance, I wasn't sure if it was the right fit because the Red Sox don't have a ton of money to spend, and they do need guaranteed innings. They don't have a lot of healthy arms. It's kind of a similar deal with the Yankees, but they have Cole at the top of the rotation mixed in with a couple other guys. I think Tanaka might have made a little bit more sense if you were just going to sign one pitcher, but who knows? They could potentially sign Tanaka on top of Kluber. I don't think I think that's a lot less likely after the Kluber deal. But I think the Yankees made this deal with the impression that Kluber is going to throw north of 150 innings for them this season. I guess the showcase, they were impressed enough to kind of throw a lot of money at him in $11 million. I mean, it doesn't seem like a whole lot, but based on the market this season, or this offseason rather, it's a pretty hefty signing for Kluber. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about that as well because it seems like the salaries we've been seeing have been fluctuating a lot. We talked about with Bradley about $6 million versus you go with Hendricks, 54. And again, those are two very different players. Then you have LeMahieu at 90, who has been an MVP candidate the last two years, which is 15 annually. Kluber at $11 million. Now we're seeing JT Romuto being offered $100 million over a five-year deal from the Phillies. That's obviously not confirmed yet. He hasn't agreed to it from anything we know. But it's just interesting to see you know, the fluctuation and the density in terms of the uh, margins that are being offered to these players right now. And it's, I haven't seen anything like it before. You know, the, It seems like the last 10 years or so, every offseason, the prices have gone higher, higher, and higher. Now we're seeing some guys getting paid a lot, some guys being paid very little. Yeah, and I think it's frustrating from the fans' perspective, especially if you haven't paid super close attention to the market this offseason. Because if you're looking at it from the perspective of you see Archie Bradley signed for $6 million and you're a fan of a team who's got a weaker bullpen, you might be thinking, how come we couldn't pay him $6 million? Uh, you got to kind of look at the how the market's been flowing this offseason and the fact that pitchers haven't been getting a lot of money. I know from a Red Sox fan's perspective, you know, $6 million for Bradley would have been nice, but maybe, you know, the Red Sox and Kyle Bloom are sitting back and looking for somebody who's a little bit cheaper and kind of letting the market play out. I know your Mariners need bullpen help, and they signed, or they traded for Montero already. Um, we're, we both kind of come from that perspective because both of our bullpens were the two worst in the American League this past season. So I'm curious to hear what your thoughts were. I remember you reached out to me when it was first reported that Bradley had a $6 million deal and you said, hey, wouldn't be too bad if he came to the Mariners, but it didn't end up happening that way. Yeah, the Phillies needed more, no doubt about that. But you're right. And I, I think there was an impression that the Mariners would have at least brought in a one significant name. I'm not talking about Liam Hendricks. You know, I was as high as maybe Trevor May, but, you know, an Archie Bradley type would have been perfect, in my opinion. Still a guy that could close for you if you needed to. Is very talented and has put up really good numbers. Montero is interesting. It's a little bit more of a wild card. Former Tommy John guy, and the numbers were fine in 2020, but nothing spectacular. The Mariners have been buying low on relievers, which I'm not opposed to. I don't think that's a problem right now because the priority isn't trying to win. But for other teams that are trying to win right now, you know, you've got to be able to take advantage of what's arguably the richest or our richest reliever free agent market we've seen in the last five or six years. And I do think it's interesting. I know COVID's played a role right now with financials and everything like that, but you got to imagine four or five million dollars for a good significant reliever uh, would be very valuable for many teams around Major League Baseball right now. And you got to think the Phillies are wondering why aren't we being more aggressive? The Phillies would be a playoff team last year if they had a better bullpen. You could argue they'd be much closer the year before they had a better bullpen right now. And you have so many options. 
I can't imagine the Phillies are done yet, like you argued, but there's plenty of teams out there that could use help like this. I mean, look at the Angels, you know, adding a couple guys this offseason, including Rysel Iglesias. I like that move a lot, too. Uh, there's plenty of options out there, and I do think it's heating up in terms of relievers. You know, I'm actually pretty confident now that we might be able to see three big-name free agents sign for my little uh, Matanzas matchup earlier this month. We'll see. I don't know. But I have to believe it's starting to heat up here as we enter the end of January. Yeah, and these two reliever deals this week kind of set the tone for the rest of the offseason because you see Hendricks get the 13 per year average, and that's a higher number for a reliever. And then Bradley comes in and gets the $6 million deal, which seems like a little bit of a bargain. So if you're imagining if you're a Rosenthal, you're probably somewhere in between. If you're a Kinsler or Melanson, you're probably a little bit lower than Bradley because he's a little bit younger and got a little more upside, as I mentioned earlier in the show. But we'll see how it goes moving forward. You know, Max and I are, are excited that it's heating up. At least we got some moves to break down and talk about as we're moving back towards our school. Hopefully we'll be able to get our next show next week. It'll be the first one. We'll actually be in the same uh, location since our first ever Matanzas podcast. So we'll be looking forward to that. And we want to thank you guys so much for joining us this week for this show. We'll always be breaking down the hot stove moves of the past week. And we hope you all have a great week of your own. 